Hi, Jonathan Bailey Strong speaking, and this is my show. Before we start, just a little note that we happen to be looking for guests right now. So if you're an established consultant who's doing over six figures in business annually, you'd be a great fit. You can book an appearance over at leadersofconsulting.com forward slash guest. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they picked up along the way. On today's show, we are joined by Nitin Mattel, who is the founder of Actuate, a consultancy providing interim CFO services to technology companies. Um, He has over 19 years of experience as a banker, hedge fund analyst and CFO with a heck of a lot of experience. And since founding Actuate, he's gone on to serve as the interim CFO to a dozen companies, helping to secure $265 million in equity and debt financings. Uh, He's also worked on the acquisition and post-merger integration of 18 companies with a transaction value of $335 million. So, Nitin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jonathan, and appreciate the the kind bio read in. (laughs) Absolutely. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, So, Nitin... um, I'd love for you to share with our audience to kick us off here with a unique approach, tip, tool, or strategy that you think other consultants should consider that maybe they haven't come across yet. Sure. I don't know how unique it is, but what I kind of have seen a fair amount of signal to kind of landing a client or prospective engagement is, is really trying to identify urgency and pain points. Um, it's easy to hear them. Uh, and to think about how you can directly solve them. But it's almost as if you got to spend a little bit more time to make sure that the prospective client really understands what the pain point is. Uh, Sometimes we'll get uh, a bit of a generic type of approach to, well, it's this, it's this, and it really does manifest something that's a little bit more uh, systemic. So that is is pretty important in making sure that you can communicate um, dependability, experience, and reliability there. Uh, and again, if you uh, can figure out how to create a sense of urgency or importance, um, we'll help to convert those leads. Um, I tried to get both of those. That's how I really can score whether I think that this is a, a project that's going to be a near-term deliverable versus something that may kind of fall away. I love that. Are there any signals that you pick up on when people give you sort of a surface level answer? Or can you tell that it's a surface level answer? I'm curious if there are any heuristics or things you look for. It depends on how close they are to the actual issue. If it is somewhat removed, if I talk to an investor that um, it's a portfolio company, they'll have a decent handle, but not the day-to-day. It's enough that gets surfaced in a phone call as a pain point or issue. If it's the, the CEO or founder, definitely will be closer but still be some love uh, a bit abstracted. If it's someone that for me, since I deal with finance and accounting, if it's someone that's on the finance and accounting team, they can be incredibly detailed as to what is really going on. Uh, so just knowing that it helps to figure out how to, you know, kind of pull the string a little bit on the sweater to figure out you know, how to unravel it a bit more. Um, so you just need to know how to cater to the audience. Um, earlier today I was speaking to an investor and kind of just going a little bit deeper in certain areas. And then you can kind of gauge where you go too far down. Um, and then that's when you know when to pull back a little bit and keep it medium or, or higher level. Fair enough. Yeah. So I, I guess it's a question of understanding who the stakeholders are in that process, um, making sure that you're actually speaking to the right people as well, right? 
Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes the lead can be gatekeeper and you're progressively getting closer to the real source, but it is a decision maker. Uh, the decision maker just wants to feel comfortable before handing you off to someone internally. Um, and that kind of is, again, the gatekeeping process really depends on where the point of interest. Uh, also, you'll find, at least I found that the it's a game of telephone. So when you get the introduction to someone that's closer into the company or the next step, it's almost like you have to reintroduce yourself because sometimes uh, that the message isn't clearly translated or or passed along. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that. And can you tell me, as you've run your practice, are there any particular uh, bodies of work, whether it may be any resources that you found particularly helpful as part of your journey into consultancy? I would love to identify a couple of books. I think most of the stuff has kind of come through work experience more than anything else. Doing working on multiple projects allows me to transfer some of the stuff that I've I've learned. There are some interesting blogs. Uh, for some reason, I can't really kind of think of them off the top of my head right now, but it'll be a bit thought-provoking. I mean, I think I follow a fair amount um, with software and e-commerce, and so publicly traded companies that report investor decks or things such as that will have interesting metrics that they put out there. Uh, and then some of the VCs will aggregate interesting um, industry statistics. Uh, and so those are always helpful to get a market understanding, but they tend to be a bit superficial as well because they're aggregating across companies that are similar in the business model, but not necessarily. They could be a, an enterprise software company versus a, a direct-to-consumer, a B2C, and you're kind of getting a, a bit of mixture. Yeah. Okay. So it's mainly sort of industry sources that you keep mostly on top yeah. of. And it's mostly in, in blog format. In, interesting. Yeah, I wish I had the time, the time to read books from a more in-depth um, perspective. Yeah, fair enough. And speaking of which, so so your domain is mainly around you know mergers and acquisitions, and I'm quite curious, like sort of with the current financial climate and you know down rounds, what your kind of outlook for the future is like. Uh, and I'm curious, like what what sort of trends do you think are, are worth paying most attention to? Interesting question. I was working um, on a transaction that was a later stage uh, financing and equity financing that was um, led by an investment bank uh, to, to broker their deal. Term sheet was was signed. They were going through the due diligence process. I was supporting that. And um, a month later, when exclusivity ran out, the lead investor wanted to renegotiate terms with cutting valuation substantially uh, to the point where it would trigger down round uh, and anti-dilution provisions that actually precipitated me to write a blog post on that. But that was several months ago. And that was kind of like fresh on the heels of, of what was uh, the early kind of sell-off in the market. Um, as far as what I'm kind of seeing now, I've seen a couple of deals get done. The valuations seem a little bit more reasonable. Um, folks are doing more inside bridge types of rounds if they have a way. Uh, but I don't see a ton of deals that I can kind of act as an industry source on this. It's more of just um, more anecdotal and, and kind of onesie twosies than anything else. Um, as for the future, I think that if you raised a lot 2021, great. Make sure that you are able to increase your runway uh, as much as possible within reason. I mean, don't don't cut to the bone if you don't need to, but figure out how to really be judicious with that capital because uh, that valuation may not come around for a couple of more uh, quarters. And so, I mean, in certain cases, it may never come around if you were raising off of um, 
um, some of these uh, touted rounds that get put in the public. So, yeah, but it's it's really still kind of a question of you know taking case case by case, right? Yeah, I think that uh, you know if you have investor support from your existing investors, it's just keep your head down, just do a small enough round that can get you through what is a bit of a tough fundraising environment and then revisit it next year, depending on how much you're looking for. But if you are in a position where you have to raise a large round, I mean, I haven't worked close enough to some of those those ones. Um, that tends to be precipitated by burn. And if you have high burn, then you're probably being asked to manage that by by cutting costs. Yeah. And when it comes to the clients that you typically deal with, we're talking usually founders of venture-backed companies. Are there any uh, specifics or, or commonalities that you've found with you know the people that you typically work with best? Uh, it it can be founder led. It can be venture backed. Um, very very occasionally private equity owned, um, and they tend to be this seed to series C ish, so they could have anywhere from a dozen to two hundred employees. Uh, the finance department is generally smaller, one to three people, maybe an outsourced kind of bookkeeper. Uh, I come in either from a transitionary perspective where someone may have left and they're looking to hire um, or they're just looking to upgrade uh, at the moment while they maintain a full-time search and from a fractional basis, which I do. Those tend to be smaller companies where it doesn't make sense to have a a full-time CFO or a senior finance person on staff based on the the size and velocity of the business. Right. And when people come to you when they're in that position, uh, what, what are some of the most challenging things that they have to deal with that you you help them with? Um, generally, it's reporting accuracy of information, trusting the numbers, runway, figuring out projections and, and just yeah, cash and, and that. Uh, that tends to be at the investor or, or CEO level. Other times it can be more idiosyncratic. It could be, we need to get through an audit or we, I need a comp plan, or can you kind of help with a couple of permutations of this, this model? Because uh, we're thinking about investing here, here, but it has a couple of implications. So we're not sure. Sometimes it's, it's M&A. Uh, so they're looking to, to make an acquisition or prepare themselves for a sale. Uh, the latter does require a bit more scrubbing and in-depth work. So it kind of depends on what it is. Yeah. So kind of a question of getting them prepared and getting their, their books in shape and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, and are there any particular kind of mistakes that you often find people like you sort of walk into a situation, you're like, holy moly, what's this kind of worms have just <laughs> opened here? <laughs> Yeah, that happens all the time. Uh, or else they wouldn't need me, right? Yeah. <laughs> if there's not a problem, then I'm, yeah. not, I'm not useful. Uh, it, it can depend. I mean, sometimes it is uh, the the books aren't, they're on a cash basis and they need to go to accrual. And so there's a whole gap in other accounting standards that need to be put there. Um, they're not looking for me to necessarily do it, but to oversee the process and make sure it's kind of done. There are cases where... Um, just getting a customer by customer p l is important because they can't trace where it's a, it's an intuition of I know we're inefficient. I just don't know where or we just don't have the process to track some of the stuff. so it it can be that. Um, budgeting is a big thing. you know, for some of these venture back companies, they do have to submit a budget um, before the end of the year for the next year. And so that requires kind of working cross departmentally with however many people and making sure that that's kind of, whether it's a formality, 
done. Um, and, and then you got to work with the sales team, marketing team, and and all the other folks to to really get their inputs and kind of walk work in that way. That tends to be a lot for a, a CEO to do themselves. Uh, or if they have a more junior um, person doing accounting or finance, that's a, a, um, a large endeavor as well. Uh, right. Gotcha. And I'm curious, like, are there any client stories that are particularly memorable or instances where maybe there was some sort of insight uncovered um, that was quite illuminating for, for the people you're working with? Um, yeah, I'm sure. I can't kind of think of it right now. I mean, generally, people will be surprised when they look at uh, um, attribution of how they're spending money, uh, especially if it's on a per-client basis. That, that tends to be a pretty a pretty eye-opening one. When they kind of look at at potentially cash outflows versus this also happens a lot where where folks think in cash, but you know the books are presented in accrual, and they're like, "Oh, this one-time expense shouldn't that hit in this one month?" They're like, "Oh, you've got to take it over the year," and so sometimes that smooths out the noise and things like that. Those just that that translating um, can get some folks um, uh, tripped up. I have one client where they they look at everything on a cash basis, but they're also annoyed because it's a uh, um, Payments are pretty lumpy, and so it can be a spike in cash flow one month, and then the next month it's negative, and you're just kind of like, I, I want something that is representative of what the business is really doing, not the ins and outs of it. So, yeah, fair enough. Um, excellent, Nitin. Well, um, finally, as we as we sort of close things out here, do you want to tell people where they can find out more, uh, where they can connect with you online? What's the best place? Sure. Sure, sure. Uh, website is actuate.com, A-C-C-T-U-A-T-E. Uh, LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn profile, first name Nitin, N-I-T-N, last name Mittal, M-I-T-T-A-L. And that's generally it right now. I have a blog on on the website, but haven't um, made a concerted effort to update it yet. It's only had one post in the last uh, couple of weeks, but yeah. Excellent. Well, Nitin, thanks for your time. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. And let's Thank keep in you. touch. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Cheers. Have you ever wondered what it takes to launch a podcast for your own consultancy? If so, you'll definitely want to tune into our sister show, Podcasting for Consultants, which shares our whole playbook on exactly how to launch revenue-generating podcasts. In order to tune in, all you have to do is search for Podcasting for Consultants on your favorite podcast player. Alternatively, you can also find it on our website at podcastingforconsultants.net.